God, would you clap your hands and let's worship the Lord this morning all over the house today. Would you praise Him? There's an awesome presence of the Lord here today. Let's praise Him. Everybody praise Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah to God. Thank the Lord. Just standing here just a few moments ago while the worship team was singing, you could just, just felt a, a wave of the Holy Ghost. Just, it just seems like it just, it's like a tidal wave. It just goes over your head. It just completely envelops you. I'm thankful that God is still so very interested in us. I believe God wants to be here today. I don't believe He dreaded showing up today. I believe He wants to be here. And I believe He's enjoyed what He's heard. Hallelujah. Clap your hands one more time to the Lord today. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I won't have you stand, but just for a moment. Uh, we have a need to present to you today, and it's, it's huge. We mention this frequently. And we will keep mentioning it until the need is met. <clears throat> uh, Sister Ethel Tear, sitting right up here, uh, it's our Sunday school administrator. She does an amazing job. She knows she has a lot of stuff on her plate and what have you. And uh, she does an amazing job, and I'm very thankful for her. She met with our Sunday school staff uh, and Wednesday night staff this past Friday night for kind of an orientation and a seminar. We had a lot of our newer folks that were there as well that's wanting to be involved. And uh, she did a great job, and I appreciate it so very, very much. But I asked her some information, for some information, and she sent it to me, and I want to present it to you. I want to explain to you why we need folks to step up and help us in children's ministry. On any given Sunday, we can average anywhere from 13 to 15 three-year-olds and in that class, we have one teacher. There are some of you folks that have one three-year-old, and it's all you can do to live with them for a little while. Imagine 13 of them at one time. We need some help. Uh, our four- to five-year-olds, we average 18 to 20 every Sunday. Just four- to five-year-olds, one teacher. We have a six- to eight-year-old class, averages 25 students, 25 students, six- to eight-year-olds. Our nine- and ten-year-olds, we have average about 15 students. And the thing about it, these are your kids. I'm not talking about somebody else's kids. These are your kids. And some of them only have one teacher. Uh, a couple of these classes do have two teachers. We average about 60 to 70 children, 11 and under, at Grace Church every Sunday. On Wednesday night... Uh, our 5- to 10-year-olds go upstairs for kids' church, and they average anywhere from 32 to 38, sometimes can have 40 children, two teachers. We need help. We need help. If these folks burn out and don't want to do it no more, guess who gets to take care of your kids during church? You do. We need some help. Um, Kakandis, God bless you. I walked by her class um, Actually, Wednesday night, she had, I think, 14 three- to four-year-olds in there by herself. She needs help. And uh, all of you folks that's sitting next and have a wonderful time in Jason's class and need that up, I want you to think about these people taking care of your kids on Sunday morning without your help. Is that a good enough guilt trip? Am I doing okay? Because I'm trying to pour it in. It's not just that. We, we, we sincerely need help. If you've gone through Grace Steps, you're a member, you've gone through leadership and what have you, if you're interested in this, see Sister Ethel. Also, to all of our parents, we are introducing and implementing some new protocol for our children's ministry on Sunday and Wednesday. All of our parents will be given a handout about that. We'll need you to read it, and we'll need your cooperation. I'd also like to mention that when church is over, you need to make sure you go pick your kids up out of the nursery or in um uh, nursery two on Wednesday nights. When church is over, uh, make sure you pick your kids up as soon as possible. People say, well, I can't contribute that much to children's ministry. 
Somebody said one time, nobody makes a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he can only do a little. If it's just to help the teacher, you don't have to always teach and be in that responsibility if we just get people to help. You can help with snacks and crafts and things like that. It's not hard. And uh, so if you're interested, please see Sister Ethel, and uh, she'll direct you from there. We have an infused process that you have to go through. It's about 11 weeks, but it's excellent. You will, you'll thoroughly know by the time you're done what the needs are and what have you. I want to share this statement with you again as we turn to the Word of God. John R.W. Scott said, and I'm saying this in reference to what I want to preach to you today, we must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. And I'm going to appeal to everyone here today to allow the Word of God to confront you, to overthrow thoughts of behavior and so on. Luke chapter 13. And he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed over and could in no wise, in no wise, could she lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, Thou art loosed from thou infirmity. You're loosed from it. Not healed of it, loosed from it. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning. When you can't reach. When you can't reach. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for your patience. You may be seated this morning. Before I began, I preached this message, a version of it at least. It's been a number of months ago now. But as we launched Reach this year, I really believe the Holy Ghost nudged me to go back to this message. So some of you here today may remember it. The lady that we read about in Luke chapter 13, I want everybody to understand what her problem was. The Bible said a spirit everybody say a spirit it's bottom line an attitude it's an attitude a spirit of infirmity got a hold of her and she was bent over so her posture would look something like this so everything she did everywhere she went she was bent over like that and i want everybody to get that picture in your head this was her problem when jesus encountered her This striking miracle that Jesus performed on this woman falls into the category of one of the seven miracles that Jesus performed on the Sabbath day, on our, would be our Sunday. The seven, the the seven Sabbath day miracles were special miracles in and of themselves. And notice very carefully with the seven Sabbath day miracles, Each one represented something just beyond just a healing or just delivering somebody. They they were more than that. Those seven miracles were the man who was demon-possessed in Mark chapter 1. Peter's mother-in-law in in Luke chapter 4. The man with the withered hand in Matthew chapter 12. The woman who was bowed down that we just talked about in Luke 13. The man with dropsy. In Luke 14, the man, the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. The man who was born blind in John chapter 9. All of these miracles proved the authority of Jesus over the spirit world and the physical world. And on top of that, he taught incredible, uh, it provided for him incredible ministry moments to teach the crowd that was a witness to these miracles. So not only was there physical deliverance in these miracles, but there was also a spiritual deliverance plus an enlightening of the people that were there. To the man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus said in John 5, afterward Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse 
thing come upon thee. I won't have everyone understand this morning that God never transforms us for our own comfort. That's not just the only purpose. But He does it for a greater purpose. He does it for a kingdom purpose when God steps into our lives. I want to stop here for a moment. I'm, I'm grinding a little bit with this, and I and will continue to do so for the next few moments. But I want everybody to understand the, how relevant this is and how applicable it is, especially to the United Pentecostal Church and other apostolic churches. I say that because that's what I know. And the people who attend them. Every, everybody that attends church, everybody that's born again, is going to be confronted with something. There's going to be a situation, a circumstance, a person. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be your parents. It could be your pastor. It could be a church-going person that goes to church with you. Somewhere along the line, once you are born into the kingdom, you're going to be faced with a situation that you'll have to deal with. It's, it's a situation where your feelings are uh, tragically hurt by somebody. They're hurt by the pastor. They're hurt by the church. They're hurt by, again, a spouse, a child, a parent, whatever it may be. We have to understand. I want everybody to listen to pastor this morning. I want everybody to listen. We have to understand that these times will come. The important thing is how you respond or react to it when it does. Nobody is justified during a time of offense to walk away from Jesus. Nobody's justified in doing that. You're not justified to abandon your relationship with God because your feelings have been hurt by somebody. The Bible teaches, Jesus teaches, when offenses come, He did say they would come. I preached a message about that. There are, they, they will come. When they do come, there's a course that's necessary that we follow. There's a process that Jesus presented that we are to follow. First of all, He said, forgive that person. And then reconcile with that person. And then restore that relationship. The Bible said, as much as possible, follow peace with all men. And we always like to run under the canopy that says, well, I can't follow peace with all men. The Bible doesn't say if you can't do it. It's when you're willing to do it and the other party won't. That's the only justification. You can't make people reconcile with you or restore a relationship with you. I wish we could. If we could, there'd never be a divorce ever again. Folks would reconcile and restore the relationship. But the implication the Bible has given is I believe God has enough sense to know that everybody that has an offense or whatever is not going to be willing to reconcile and restore the relationship with the one that we're offended by. So the Bible says as much as possible follow peace with all men, but the impetus is on you to do it. I don't believe we understand here this morning when things like this happen with people and how they respond to it, that stigma, that baggage, lives with them for the rest of their life. And the reason it does is because they've never followed biblical precedent on resolving it. I'll be very honest with you here this morning. I could name off a whole bunch of people right now off the top of my head that I could be bitter towards, that I could be toting a grudge towards. I hope you get the point this morning. This woman had a spirit of infirmity. This was not an illness. This was something that developed into a physical deformity, but it started with a spirit of infirmity or an attitude. There was something that confronted this woman at some point in her life, and she couldn't get past it. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be... It could be a lawsuit. It could be being sued or suing somebody. It could be anything. You name it, it could be anything. You put anything you want in that blank. Anything that would alter our attitude, our mindset, and our relationship 
with God. Anything that will alter that, God wants us to be careful at how we resolve it, and it should be resolved appropriately and as Bible teaches. This woman that we're talking about today, the Bible said she was bowed over. She was a woman who was bent. This woman is identified, notice this, as a daughter of Abraham, which means that she is a faithful church-going, strictly follows the law of Moses, tithe-paying member, child of God. She suffered from a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. want that to resonate with everybody. And of course, what can happen here today is everybody will apply this to everyone else you know besides yourself. This is why I ask you to allow the Word of God to challenge and confront the way we think, the way we view God, the way we view the kingdom of God, the way we view church, the pastor, anything else you want to wrap it all up and bring and put in that blank. She had suffered from a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over at the waist and could not stand up straight. She had been crippled by a spirit. Not a disease. Not a disease, not a sickness, not an illness. A spirit did it. And everybody in her church knew that she had accepted her condition, including her. In other words, this is just going to be normal life for me until I die. I am going to live with this infirmity in my head, in my mind, and in my body for the rest of my life. I suppose in a way, she had learned to live with it. It became a part of her. She learned to live with it. I'm sure she wished every day that she could stand up straight. I'm sure she wished every day that life would be different. But she finally came to accept the fact that nothing could be done, done for her Or so she thought. There's people sitting here today that have come face to face with a horrible reality. You've been hurt. You've been offended. You're sorely bruised. You're you're just hurting. I'm just going to say it that way. Instead of pursuing healing, you are adjusting and posturing yourself to live with the hurt. And the path that that herd has taken you down is, I used to be involved in church, but I'll never be involved again. I used to be real confident in the church and the ministry, but I can't be that again. You're accepting it, as this woman did. You're accepting this condition. You're accepting your infirmity. This woman dealt with it. I want everybody to understand this. For 18 years. This was no ordinary physical crippling. The Bible said a spirit had done this to her. Most of us would assume that 18 years previous, she was just walking along one day and this spirit just came upon her to afflict her and all of a sudden she just bent over like that. That's not how it happens. She was an innocent woman. She was no doubt a sincere woman, a well-meaning woman. Perhaps even minding her own business when this spirit comes along and over a process of time causes her to be bent over. I want to portray here this morning, I want to communicate clearly. There's folks here today that there's things burned into your heart and mind. They've been there for months. Some of you, they've been there for years. And you're not doing anything about it. And you're going to come to an age, if the Lord tarries, that you're going to be bent over in your relationship with God and unproductive and, and you've learned to live with it and accept it and somehow to you that's going to become normal. But in God's economy and in God's kingdom, it's not normal. God doesn't want His people to live out in existence like that. He wants you to be healthy and prospering and blessed and highly favored. He wants you to be called and chosen. He wants you to be active and productive. He wants you to take your gifting that He's given you and use it for His kingdom. This is God's design. And I want to challenge everyone here today to look in the mirror. If you're not functioning at the peak of your spiritual gifting that God has given you, maybe you need to look in the mirror. Maybe there's a spirit of infirmity that's attached itself to you. 
Let me have everybody understand this morning. Spirits just don't attack us unawares. And spirits cannot go where they're not invited. And when people are literally, no pun intended in reference to this woman, when they've been out of shape over something, if you don't rectify that, if you defer and say, I'll do it later, if you put it off and say, I'll come to it one day, changing churches isn't the answer. Getting a new pastor isn't the answer. The problem is still on the inside, and it needs to be, God needs to work with it. Again, this is kind of the first of the year pastoral preaching this morning. I want everybody to understand that. Somewhere along the line, this woman, and along with us, are confronted with a decision about an attitude or a principle of faith that we just cannot accept. We're all confronted with that. Sometimes God is trying to teach us something about living our lives for Him that will improve our character that will give us greater vision and purpose and draw us closer to Him. But what happens is we have a preset line of thought about a particular subject or situation, and we just can't surrender that preset line of thought. We will allow that to become our standard and say, I know that I don't have it going on right now, but I just can't get past what happened. Maybe it's even something we've been taught all of our lives. I say frequently that people's minds sometimes are like concrete. They're all mixed up and permanently set. And things that we've been taught all of our lives, even though they're not scripturally sound, we will embrace it as the gospel truth. But the problem is that it doesn't square with Scripture. And we just can't adjust to the new light or exposure that God is showing us. There's people here today that there's things that Grace Church does and things that pastor teaches or does not teach. There's traditional standards. I had a conversation with a couple of different people about this recently. There's cultural standards. There's traditional standards. I know folks today that if you're not singing out of a hymn book, you can't be right with God. The Bible never says thou shalt not ever never sing out of a songbook. It's a traditional standard. There's a whole bunch of other things we can put in that, in that bracket. Or perhaps with some it's a preconceived set of notions about life or the church or a view of ourselves that we cherish. But there's no basis of, uh, in, the, in the truth for that. God is trying to take us to a higher plane of living, but we refuse to go. appreciated what somebody said a year or so ago that if you don't want to be better grace church may not be the church for you because we're always striving for people to be at the top of your game man to be the best you can be to be what god wants you to be and that's our whole environment here in a nutshell and there's people here today god is trying to call you to a higher plane of living but you don't want to go there you don't want to do it there's a preconceived idea so we stay where we are trying to stop change and, and live on a plane of unreality or delusion that leaves us open to a spirit of infirmity. These spirits can cripple us and limit our effectiveness. This daughter of Abraham, this beautiful child of God that Jesus encountered that day, in her condition, she continued to love the Lord. But by allowing this spirit to coexist with her, she limited her ability to function in life and limit her effectiveness in the kingdom of God. You know, when you look at 18 years, 18 years can be a short time. 18 years can fly by when life is spent in happiness. 18 years is a short time when, it involves, when it's involved with the blessings of life. 18 years is a short time when you're reaching and accomplishing all that you ever hoped for. And 18 years is a short time when you're involved in the joys of raising children. And 18 years is a short time when you're surrounded by friends that help you overcome the challenges of life. 18 years is a short time when you're advancing in your job and enjoying prosperity. But 18 years can also be a very long time. It can drag by when you're consumed with the pain of a bent back. It's a very long time to have to struggle to leave your home. It's a, it's, a, it's a long time to have a body and mind that's vexed with despair. It's a long time to always be looking down at the ground. It's, it's a long time to struggle with a mistake that changed your life. It's a long time to try and wash away something from your soul. Eighteen years is a very long time to have to cover up 
with words what really and truly is inflaming your mind. It's a long time to fight an infected, wounded spirit. This picture of this woman is terrible. She was badly crippled up, bent at the waist, shuffling steps, ill-fitting clothes, and depressed in spirit. Everything she did was hosted by difficulty. Keeping her home was difficult. Walking was difficult. Sleeping was difficult. I believe that it was over a period of time that her back was bent and deformed. It was a gradual deterioration that came on her. It is similar to the experiences that many of us have had here today. It was not suddenly that this thing took place, but over a period of time. And one day she woke up and discovered that her life would never be the same again, or so she thought. She continued to keep the faith. She continued to keep the faith. Listen to pastor. She continued to keep the faith. But along with that, there was very little peace, no joy, And no comfort. It had been so long since she had really been able to feel the liberty of life and worship. It's remarkable that she even continued to go to church. And to me, that's the oxymoron of this. There's a lot of folks that have a spirit of infirmity. And there's things burned down on the inside of them. And they never miss a church service. But they never allow the spirit of that service to challenge it. They live with it. They deal with it. They cope with it. They've accepted it. This is the way it's going to be. There's people here today that fit in that bracket. Faithful as can be. But the Word of God don't challenge you. The the Spirit of God don't challenge you. We go through the form and, and, and fashion of worship and what have you. But there's more that God could do in our lives. It's been a very long time for her to really grasp what it was to be comfortable It had been a long time since she was actually happy at church. It had been a long time since she really knew the joy that you draw from the well of salvation. It had been a long time since, in our terminology today, since she had a good run the aisles moment or a good talking tongues moment. It was a long time since a tear came out of her eye. She was just coexisting with this infirmity trying to carve out some kind of relationship with God and somehow persuade God that if you're going to live in my life, you too will have to accept this infirmity about me. After a while, the physical need became a huge mental obstacle for her. It's funny how the mental thing caused the physical thing and then the physical thing caused another mental thing. And slowly as time passed, her warped back finally warped her spirit. And this is what Luke was pointing out to us when he writes that she had a spirit of infirmity. She literally could not get away from this horrific malady. After a while, because of the deformity of her body, she begins to realize that she was not even attractive or beautiful to the people around her. She would look at other women who had strong, straight bodies in a sin of resentment and bitterness, started tugging at her soul. I wish you folks could see this. We do the same thing. Wow, look at all these people up here. I wish I could be up there. Look at all the Sunday school staff. I wish I could do that. Look at all the people working and they're happy and they're bouncing around church and they're smiling and all that. The, 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 the reality of that thought process is that you can be. You can be. I'm trying to throw hope out to somebody here this morning. You can be reconciled. You can be restored. The Bible is very clear on that, that God is able to set you free. He did it her. Her sickness, her infirmity, bent her over. That means she walked around with downcast eyes and only saw the ground. She was acquainted with the dirt and the filth of the bad, of a bad, depressed attitude. That's where she lived. She missed the blue skies, the birds in the air, and the rainbows and sunsets. Her problem had literally blocked every bit of the vision she had. There are people here today that refuse to be used in the kingdom over something someone did, someone said, including me. There's people who refuse to tithe because of a pastor somewhere in their background that abused church money, and I'll never give the pastor another dime of my money. That's the misnomer. You're not giving me anything. You're giving it to him. You're punishing God and yourself. There's couples here today that are bitter towards your spouse, and there's, there's a handful that falls into this bracket. You can't get past it. 
There's folks here today, the worship patterns you used to have are phenomenal. But you've let a spirit of infirmity get a hold of you. And it's turned into other things. It started with a spirit of infirmity and then it became a this and a that and a this and a that. And then the sin just piles on. And the list of things that, that have happened to people and our response to it goes on and on. And we've all met people in life who've had a spirit of infirmity. They've allowed some handicap or setback to get into their minds in such a way that it's made them bitter. And all they do is complain and they're self-centered. This is usually the byproduct of a spirit of infirmity. You do get bitter, and you complain about everything. Church is too long. It's too hot. It's too cold. I don't like the music. It's too fast. It's too slow. I don't like the chairs. I'd rather pews. I'd rather chairs and pews, and I'd rather have pews and chairs. And I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like the color of the paint. I don't like them things on the wall, and those are acoustic, so the sound don't bounce all over the wall. It's acoustic treatment, whatever. And we get into this mindset, and we don't like the people that run the production booth. And, you know, I wish Jonathan Adams would do better on live stream. When I'm home, live stream, it don't do this and it don't do that. And just complain about everything. It's the byproduct of a spirit of infirmity. There's, it's not the church that's a problem. It's in your head is the problem. And if you're not careful over a period of time, it will get you so bent over. As time passes, we allow the incentives of life in the kingdom to no longer motivate us. We sink into a place of depression and isolation and become cynical. And when you talk to people, they, they, these people are critical and negative and pessimistic and unhappy. And every area of their life has been affected by this ministry. I don't know how to be more plain with this. I want everybody here this morning to have a look in the mirror session at the, at, at the completion of this sermon today. There's personal wars that goes on on the inside of people because of events that took place years ago. They can't get past it. There's emotional traumas that happened years ago, and if we've got caught up and, and, and we're wilting down because of it, and relationships are poisoned by the need to control, and fear ushers us to the place that we try to control and manipulate simply in an effort to survive, and then bad decisions take place because there's no desperateness about us to get it fixed and there's spirits that can cripple us and i'm gonna go through this quickly jesus said in matthew that thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart with all thy soul with all thy mind this is the first and great commandment and the second is like unto it thou shalt love thy neighbor we're not justified and carrying around with us a foul spirit that picks and chooses who we love and appreciate and who we like and want to speak to and what have you. We're not justified. It's a spirit of infirmity that's caused that on the inside of us. And if you're not careful, you'll live out the rest of your life living unproductive in the kingdom. It's not the will of God to live like that. We've got to have a face-to-face with ourselves and a face-to-face with God and say, I'm going to overcome it. By the help of God, I'm going to get past it, and I'm going to be what God has called me to be. Everybody clap your hands and shout yes. So there is a legalistic spirit that can get a hold of us. The basis of our Christian experience is is love-based. Jesus didn't come to judge. That day will come later. He came to love, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say, for God so judged the world. Out of love comes the commandments. All the commandments that we live by, they're love-based commandments. It comes from the cross. But the tendency with a lot of us as time passes is to grow cold in our relationship with God and it's prayerless lives, along with no consistent Bible study, even on Wednesday nights and much less at home that develops on the inside of us a spirit of infirmity, which in my opinion is a legalistic spirit. Spirit, Love fades, but the commandments remain. It's what happened to this woman. Love, the love of God fades, but the commandments still remain. Every action of ourselves and others is not interpreted by in the light of love, but in the light of the law. And that is exactly what Jesus preached against. The spirit of legalism is a crippling spirit for it saps us of the love and tenderness and patience and gentleness that we need to not only get along with others but to minister to them. And then there's the unforgiving spirit. 
How many times have we heard the phrase, that person just makes me sick and I can't stand to be around them? You ever heard anybody say it? Let me bring it a little closer to home. Have you ever said it? Our willingness to forgive someone who has hurt us can actually make us sick. I've, I've had people tell me, when I get around so-and-so, I get a headache. It nauseates my stomach to even be around. I've heard all these statements. That's a spirit, and it'll cripple you if you're not careful, and we have to understand that. Studies have shown, studies have shown that people who carry grudges, admitted or not, have significantly reduced lifespans and greater incidences of disease just from carrying a grudge. The Scripture tells us that this woman was physically bent over. Human relationships are very hard to maintain. Yes, they are. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to have a relationship with an infant. They're a pain in the neck. They think the whole entire world exists for them. They do. They're selfish. They're self-centered. When they're hungry, you just soon go ahead and give it up, man, and feed them because they are not going to stop. I love the story of the man put his little boy to bed. heard it years ago. And he was thirsty in bed. And he said, Dad, yeah, I want some water. Okay, son, in a minute. A few minutes later, Dad's hoping he'll drift on to sleep. Dad, yeah, I'm thirsty. I need some water. All right, son, I'll get you some in a minute. Again, the dad rolls over and hopes the little boy forget about it and go on to sleep. A few minutes later, Dad, still waiting on my water. Okay, son, I'll get it in a minute. A few minutes pass, and finally could hear his little boy going, Water, 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 water. You just soon go ahead and get up the first time they say it and get it over with. Am I right? Can I get a witness to that from anybody? Amen. We have to understand that relationships are very hard to maintain. Adult people, saints in the church, the pastor, our method of communication is faulty at best. I'm amazed at what comes out of my mouth and what you hear. I've had people tell me, man, I really appreciated that sermon. And man, that part where you said da-da-da-da-da, and I'm like, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything close to that. And it happens frequently. It's amazing. No spoken language can completely express our thoughts and feelings. It's like two ships sailing together in a storm. Sometimes we bump up against each other, and it's natural that we're going to get hurt along the way. When we refuse to forgive the person that's hurt, is, is, is hurt the worst, is us. We're the ones that come away, oftentimes the more wounded. But by forgiving those who hurt us, we can get rid of the spirit that can cripple us. The third spirit, and I'm hurrying, is the carnal spirit. It's the most damaging spirit in this world. Our young people get wrapped up in this all the time. They want to be like the world. It's the carnal spirit. I want to do what the world's doing. I want to do what the church is doing. It's too boring. I want to do what the, the world is doing. I want to say to you again, I've not made this statement in a long time, but in reference to Egypt and Bethel and Abraham back in the book of Genesis, Bethel in its worst, when it's ridden with famine, is still better than the best of Egypt. We have moms and dads here today. You, you, you've kind of cut loose with all the church stuff, man. It's not a big deal anymore. And now you're starting to reap it in your kids. You have something on the inside of you that can bring you back, do they? I've heard more than one parent bemoan the fact that I backslid when my kids were little. I came back to God when they were grown, and now they don't want to. There's a reason that happened. <sighs> Trying to help somebody here this morning. The Bible describes it as the old man. The Bible describes it, the carnal spirit, as enmity with God or against God. This is a spirit that puts itself on the throne of our hearts. It puts self on the throne of our heart, and we are then in a constant struggle with God over the control of our lives. We understand what Paul meant in Romans chapter 7. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. And, 
And then I do that which I would not and consent unto the law that is, that is good. For then it is more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will, to, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do what I would not, it is no more that I do it. But sin that dwelleth in me, I find then a law that even when I would do good, evil is present with me. What we do know is that we do not have to live in Romans chapter 7 because we can go on to Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And unless we ask God to sanctify us wholly, to remove this law of sin from our being, we will remain truly crippled. We cannot maintain our Christian experience for long with the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's remarkable that we find Jesus on the Sabbath day going to the synagogue. If Jesus went to church on the Sabbath, I think it would be a great example for us to continue to follow even in our modern times. And everybody said, Amen. There's nothing like the church, and I have no complaints against the church. The fact is the world doesn't want me back. I've slapped at the devil too many times. I've told the world to, uh, I've, t- I've called the world to task too many times. I've given myself to prayer too often. I've absorbed too much of the Word of God, and I refuse for the world to take me back. But not only did Jesus come to the church on the Sabbath, he saw something that no one else saw. All others saw a poor woman who had been among them suffering with this infirmity for 18 years. The church saw the humped back and the downcast eyes and the depressed spirit and the weary walk and the acceptance of defeat. But Jesus did not see this because he was in a position of constantly seeing things in a different light. The Lord had the ability to read men's past histories and futures by looking at their face. And he looked at this woman who had endured the cruel bondage of 18 years, and in her face he saw the battles of her mind. And there comes a time in all of our lives that he understands our struggles. Jesus reads our stories. He understands our infirmities. He knows our deepest hurts. He sees our maladies. He knows the force of our temptation. He has insight into the darkest storms and battles of our soul, and it's in His grace. He puts a value on all of our poor struggles and longs to fill us with just as much surprise as he did on that Sabbath day almost 2,000 years ago. When Jesus visits the church, what chains and dungeons the devil has worked to build for 18 years came crashing down immediately. And it will not take the Lord 18 seconds to rip down what the devil has been working on you and in your life to destroy you. And this is why we need the Lord to show up every time we're at church. Faith and deliverance need to be at work in the church. There needs to be people who speak in tongues and shout with joy and pursue the authority that can only come from heaven. And there comes a time, there comes a time when we come face to face with our infirmity and God makes that meeting happen. He, 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 he puts you in his appointment book and sooner or later you're going to come face to face with that infirmity and there's people doing it right now. But it's going to be up to you as to what you do with it or not. Several weeks ago, I was working on my computer at home. I was actually waiting on some packages, and I noticed on two or three times when I was working on my computer that my cursor would just go crazy for just a few seconds. And it it would quit, and I thought, well, what was that? It must have been a computer glitch. And That happened over the next several days. It was very interesting to me. I was waiting on a couple of packages to arrive. And I was checking my email one day. And there was an email from the U.S. Postal Service that said your package was undeliverable. It was amazing because just so happened that morning I was walking out out my driveway and I noticed a mail truck just run right by my house. Didn't stop, didn't blow the horn, wave, nothing, just kept right on going. And then that afternoon I get this email that says, we can't deliver your package. 
Of course, my patience got real testy and my temperament changed drastically. And uh, I wasn't real happy about it, to say the least. And uh, I will say this, I'm really thankful for UPS. They're usually pretty dependable. So I get this email that says, it's United States Postal Service. I open it, and it reads something along the line, your package is undeliverable. If you'll open the link below, we'll tell you how you can get your packages or whatever, and it's signed by somebody. And it looked just as official and appropriate as you could imagine. had a logo and everything. I opened that zip file at the bottom for that link. And what I didn't know is that somebody somewhere on this planet had hacked into my computer, knew I was waiting on a package, sent me this email to get me to open that zip thing, that zip file, and a malware thing just flooded my computer. And every document on my computer was being held hostage. They were all, all the names of all of my documents changed to this long series of numbers and letters, probably 25 to 30 combinations of numbers and letters. Every single document, I have close to 5,000 documents on my computer that represents a good portion of my ministry through the years. That's my life. It's Bible studies, sermons, baby dedications, wedding ceremonies, funerals, and hours, untold hours of study material. Is stored in document form on my computer. It took me a little while to even realize what happened, and finally I minimized the window and noticed there was a strange little icon on my desktop, and I opened it. And it said, you need to go to such and such a site. Chris told me later it's called the Dark Internet. You go to search at such a site, you open an account, and for so many bitcoins... We'll give you a password that'll unlock all of your documents. So thank God for Chris Watley. He came over to the house, worked with me that night. We tried to set up an account. I was going to pay it. I, I didn't have any choice. It's about $2,800 to get my documents back. I didn't have any choice. What, what would you do? I had no choice. Well, when the little site we had to go to to open up an account for me to give them, I had to buy bitcoins about $2,700, $2,800 worth, send it to them, send the information to them, and hope they'll give me the password back. We went to that site, and it wouldn't take a credit card. state of Louisiana, the law of Louisiana, don't let you do that. It wanted all of my banking information, and then I would have to transfer money from my account to this whoever it is, whatever group it is, giving that money. And that's where I drew a line. I'm not giving somebody I don't know whatever. And all this stuff is only online for about 30 seconds, and then it disappears, and that's why you can't catch them. You can't track them. So I ended up calling uh, Chris, did some research for me, and found a company that's called Proven Data Recovery. Proven Data Recovery. I called them. Thank God our church insurance will cover this. But for about $5,000, I gave them access to my computer, and it took them about three days running all these algorithm things, and they finally cracked that password, and they restored my computer back to me. They are somewhere in Connecticut or New Jersey or somewhere. If I could have been close to them people, I'd have kissed them on the mouth, I can tell you that. I felt like I got my life back. I really and truly felt like I got my life back. This is 20-plus this is years of ministry since the advent of the computer that had been taken away from me. There's people here today, if you'll stand with me, and you see the obvious application of this. There's been turbulent times and things going on in your life. And somebody sent you a zip file and you opened it. You thought it was going to be the answer. And actually, it crippled you. But I know someone who's proven themselves in recovery. And his name is Jesus. I have a family member. I hardly ever see this person. They have been the most complicated people, the most bitter, depressed, 
impossible to give along with person. They've been in my family now for in excess of 50 years. They have no friends, and over a course of time, this person has cut off all family ties from their own family and from our family. You can't call. They won't answer. They won't return your call. It's been going on for years. I found out Friday that this person, over a period of time, after his numerous back surgeries, going to the doctor, therapy, whatever, they're bent over and they're off to the side. They can no longer stand up straight. It's the first modern-day situation that I can compare to this woman that I read to you about this morning. I want everybody to know here this morning, you can coexist with whatever feelings you want to coexist with, but sooner or later, it will take its toll. It's like living with a giant tumor attached to your body. I saw a documentary several years ago that a woman had a over 400-pound tumor attached to her body. It had been years before she could even, before, since she got out of the bed. And some doctor came along and was able to remove it, extensive and hours and hours and hours of surgery. There's, in a spiritual way, there's people here today that in marriage, in parenting, in church, in family, you're living with an infirmity and you've accepted it and you don't have to and it keeps you from reaching. You can't reach anymore. Your lives are ineffective. And I want to give you an opportunity here this morning with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your determination to come face to face with that, to meet it head on. And say, I'm getting rid of it today. I'm starting recovery today. I want my life back. I want my data back. I'm tired of being held captive by this thing that happened either last week or 50 years ago. I'm tired of being held captive by that. I want my life back. I want to be productive again. I want to give you an opportunity and the presence of Almighty God to come face to face with that infirmity and let God set you free today. As they begin to sing softly, I'm going to invite everybody around the front. I'm going to invite everybody around. Folks, get back to a place where you can reach again, where you can be productive. Everybody come. Everybody, please come. Everybody come.